Welcome back to another episode of Real Estate Investing Unscripted, where we get real with real estate investors and other experts throughout our industry. I'm your co-host, Brendan Bennett, and with me is your other co-host, David Dugan. And David, our guest today is Kenny Wolf. He is the founder and CEO of Wolf Investments. He's an experienced multifamily syndicator. And uh, I'm always pretty excited when we get some big players like Kenny in the room to talk with us. Yeah, I'm excited as well. Kenny is a, a master of several things, or at least has many talents. So in addition to being a multifamily real estate investor and operating several different strategies there. He's also a published author. So he wrote a book called Investing in the Dream, How to Acquire Multifamily Real Estate and Attain Total Financial Freedom. So we cannot wait to uh, get into it and pick your brain on all things uh, related to what you do. Kenny, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me on. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Kenny, if you'd be uh, so kind, can you just give the listeners a little background about uh, yourself, where are you from? How'd you get into the real estate space? And uh, we'll kind of take it from there. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I started our company, Wolf Investments, almost 14 years ago, back in 20, uh, late 2010. So I'm working on 14 years here in the business. Uh, but I started out in oil and gas accounting. So like any good Texan, worked in oil and gas first and then uh, decided to move into something that was a lot less uh, cyclical. Um, real estate definitely has cycles, but nothing has cycles like oil and gas. So it's either feast or famine in that business. My dad was in it. My grandfather was in it. So uh, definitely have some family stories there. Uh, so anyway, so wanted to find something else out. Um, I was then I was CFO at a very young age, uh, about 27 years old, of a spinoff company in oil and gas and just saved all the money we were making. I made junior partner in that deal. Um, so I was making decent money, uh, but just still decided to drive a Ford Taurus for way too long. Uh, save all the money and then just dump it all into our multifamily business. So we, so I've never uh, owned a single family rental. I just jumped right into uh, multifamily, uh, and you can do that. Uh, you just have to have the right uh, amount of capital kind of with you, behind you, and know how to raise money uh, from other investors as well to kind of leapfrog that single family route. The bulk of our borrowers, right that that side of the investors that we work with, they start in that step that you skipped, right? The single family residences the one to four family space and they start to grow from there. And then a lot of them, you know, quote unquote, graduate to the multifamily space. What gave you the confidence to just skip that step and go straight into multifamily and, and go guns blazing there? You know, so I did two passive investments first. So I passively invested in two multifamily syndications. I was very choosy as to which ones I wanted to get into. So one of those was a big fixer upper, you know, cars on blocks, uh, worst, worst property in the bill, uh, on the block for sure. Uh, we bought it in foreclosure in 2010 um, for like 12000 a door. Um, it needed 10 k a door, so double, almost double what we uh, bought it for. Uh, it was that, that run down. Although now, you know, 22000 door all in sounds really great uh, so, <laughs> here in Dallas, Fort Worth for sure. So, so anyways, but at the time, it was a big fixer-upper, you know, so we, I wanted to learn that, you know, who is the right GC, who is the lender, who is the insurance broker. Uh, it was a property management company that can handle that kind of a rough property. Transition from a D plus C minus to a C plus asset here in Dallas Fort Worth. Um, so we did that, and the second one I picked was almost opposite. It was a uh, it was a yield play. So it's meant to be a cash flow uh, cash flowing asset, just stable. You're buying it for um, the quarterly cash flow payments. Uh, but the big piece of that though was it was a Fannie Mae loan, and I, I sought that out. The reason being because on my third deal, I put together um, a syndication of 13 uh, investors, and uh, we went out and bought a 76-unit uh, uh, property here in Dallas-Fort Worth. But I was able to get a Fannie Mae loan, my first syndication deal, 
because I was a passive on a prior performing. That's a big, a big keyword, a performing Fannie Mae loan um, as well. So if it wasn't performing, I couldn't have, have gotten have gotten my first syndication deal as a Fannie Mae loan. So, uh, but it's also too the second way. So Fannie Mae was a big deal, but also um, is it different? The GCs is it different on the property management, the insurance? You know, those those kind of the you know trying to build out the team according to two different kind of polar opposite business plans. Yeah, that makes sense. And Kenny, how, how do you guys, from a geographical standpoint, how do you guys structure the different multifamilies that you go after? Are you, I know you're located in, in Texas. Are you guys focusing on a lot of multifamily in Texas specifically? Are you guys kind of all around the U.S.? Uh, we're kind of all over. We, we we do love Texas. We're based here. The flights are, we still have to fly because it's a big, big state, <laughs> uh, but they're a little shorter. But we do buy all over. So in multifamily, uh, we're very choosy as to where we end up um, owning and operating multifamily. We want a landlord-friendly state. Uh, so right now we're in Texas, Ohio, Oklahoma, and Georgia. Uh, we've been in Colorado, Louisiana. Uh, we sold those assets, so we're out of those two states for now. Uh, but we like the four we're in. But landlord-friendly is definitely a, a big thing to look out for. Uh, we have in-house property management, so what, we bought them about seven years ago, brought them in-house. Uh, they manage all of our assets across the country in multifamily, so it makes it easier as well to be able to pick up and travel. Are there other data points other than, you know, the the – landlord friendly states are there other data points that you look for when making an acquisition whether it's population growth whether it's you know certain companies entering a market um, and, and put in a headquarter or hq2 something like that or um, is it all just down to the you know quote-unquote politics of the geography that's a very good question uh, so we definitely landlord friendly is is a number one uh, we want to stack the chips in our favor if you don't pay, you shouldn't stay, right? So we have to worry about that. So once we cleared that hurdle, then we go down to the cities, right? So is our population growth, like you said, has it diverse economically? So, I mean, there's 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 cities in Texas, I always pick on Midland, Odessa, that I wouldn't buy in. I mean, it's, Texas is a landlord-friendly state, but I wouldn't buy in Midland, Odessa because the sole economic driver is oil and gas. Mm-hmm. So if you buy an apartment building, you better know what the price of oil is because they're, they're going to be tied very much together. Uh, so we want a diverse economy, you know, economic driver. Like we love Columbus, Ohio. Uh, it's uh, the Ohio State University. Uh, it's got the capital, right? It's got the, I think, the second biggest Chase building outside of Manhattan. So there's a lot going on there uh, nationwide, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So you, we're looking for diverse economic drivers as well. Um, population growth, uh, rent growth as well on those kind of the high-level metrics that we look at. So, Kenny, before we get into the three main arms of the company that uh, you and I talked about before and some of the project-specific stuff you guys are doing, uh, if I remember correctly, you guys are $715 million assets under management currently, and the goal is to get to around a billion this time next year. What's what's really contributed to that exponential growth that you guys have experienced and even that you know year-over-year growth going from 715 for a pretty established company up to $1 billion, still pretty substantial. So can you walk us through what are some of the things that have really propelled you guys from a growth standpoint? You know, starting out almost 14 years ago, it was really kind of focused here in Dallas, Fort Worth. And then uh, pretty soon from when we started, we uh, wanted to, I wanted to look at different locations around the country, maybe even in Texas. Uh, not because I didn't like DFW, but it felt a little frothy to me. The pricing seemed a little high. So it was, it was a way for us to keep deal flow going uh, and to see more. And so we, you know, drove north to Oklahoma City and then ended up actually buying our first out-of-state property in Colorado Springs. Um, and that was a way really to get um, deal flow because not all cities are on the same global real estate economic boom. Some are slower to ca- catch on than others. Um, and so there's it was a way to kind of, you know, secure deal flow for our growth 
and then from there, uh, really kind of ramp up. And so, I mean, some key 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 dates that that really moved us forward, uh, kind of launched us, was kind of taking advantage of um, like in 2020 in COVID, we, we didn't really stop. Uh, I came, I kept, I deemed myself essential and came to the office. I lasted like a day at the house because we had two dogs and, and two kids, and I just could not handle it. So I love them to death, but it was very loud and distracting. So <laughs> I came to the office, uh, and then I really just kind of head down, and we picked up some um, a really nice institutional asset that, you know, honestly, at the time, we probably had no business getting even um, a call back on. Uh, so we picked up a really a historic asset uh, there in downtown Dallas, and like I said, it was on the market. Um, in January of 2020, they pulled it in March, and we called in May. Said, "Hey, is it still for sale?" Uh, and they said, "Yes, everything's for sale." Uh, so they were, I think they were just shocked we were calling. And so, anyways, we ended up picking up picking up for two million less than what the, uh, the that owner had paid for it like three years ago. Uh, so we knew there was, and the rent had to keep had kept growing. Downtown Dallas was booming, so I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this is going to launch us." And that kind of put us on an institutional uh, map. And then we just kept growing. We started getting to the buying, you know, distressed office buildings. And, and that really, again, got the name out there and growth and attracted a lot of, of capital and uh, folks interested in doing what we're doing in that space as well. So it's really kind of just taking advantage of these of these slow times and figuring out how to how to get deals done. Yeah. And it sounds like based on the, the structure of your company, which I'll allude to a little bit right now. So you guys have a debt fund where you guys deploy some capital outside of the company, to my understanding. You have a, a triple net fund, and then you have your, your multifamily space. So I won't butcher the explanation of those. I'll allow uh, <laughs> maybe you to kind of go through it a little bit. But I think, to your point, you guys have chosen three different areas that you're really good at and kind of picked your spots depending on what the market climate is. Exactly, yeah. And that just kind of kind of rounded out our, our, our full uh, you know, risk-reward ratio for our investors. Uh, we had some that really, really wanted that kind of stable, steady cash flow. They weren't really. You know, there wasn't a need for big, massive growth, and so, uh, so we we introduced the triple net fund. So we our first fund, we went out and bought. Uh, I think it was only seven seven family dollars and Dollar Trees, Dollar Generals, uh, in a fund. Um, really kind of to prove it up to them. Those have just been great for monthly cash flow. Uh, all of our tenants in that we have sixty one stores now across seventeen states. We're a lot less picky on those states. Uh, we don't care about landlord friendly really in that in that in that realm, but. Uh, but again, but growth though for sure, population growth, demographics come into a big play there. But folks needed, you know, a monthly uh, stable cash flow, and those are great for that. You're going to give up some appreciation, but you know it does have a fit for people's portfolios. And then the, the same with the debt fund; it was more kind of wealth preservation, just to set eight percent return a year. Um, and so they, you know, so people kind of depend on that. Uh, and then we started multifamily. That's kind of a mix of cash flow and appreciation. It is operations heavy, so we have to go collect rent, we have to fix toilets and things like that. So it's up and down um, on cash flow, just depending on the operations on site. And then we had folks that really wanted um, a big, a much bigger appreciation piece, didn't really care about cash flow. So we I went out and just, uh, went out, I went out and bought those townhome lots uh, myself because I didn't know a thing about uh, con- uh, you know mm-hmm. ground up construction. Built the team out around that that asset, um, and then from there just jumped into. Uh, building ground up and then office conversions in that same development realm. So I have kind of a, a very loaded question for you here. So I'm going to add right. some context because I think it, it, you'll understand when I ask questions. So I mentioned a big portion of our client base is the single family investor, right? And many of them, especially here in Cleveland, in Columbus, markets that you like, right? They they want to graduate into that multifamily space. And a lot of them ultimately do, right? I'm sure there are many similarities 
in the two, but I'm, I'm sure there are some very stark differences, right? So I think about some of the challenges that the single-family home investors face, which would be there's a lower barrier to entry, so there's a ton of competition there, right? And closings are quick, which means you have less of a due diligence period. And a lot of times you, you really don't understand the level of work that needs to go into that asset, right? So there, there are some challenges there. What advice would you give to people stepping into that multifamily space as far as like what challenges they should expect and, and how to mitigate some of those challenges? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, when we start, we're starting out, um, we actually looked at, at starting out with 10 single family homes. Uh, we went to one of those two day guru seminar events. So we, um, you know, that first night they were talking about single family. So my wife and I were excited. We're going to buy 10 single family homes uh, in Dallas. Uh, we're pumped about it. And then the next day they talk about multifamily. And that's when that one, that single family went right out the door. And because mm-hmm. it's, it's tough to scale, right? So the good thing about single family is they're easier to sell. Um, you know, if you've got, you know, 10 of them, you can sell one pretty easily, right? If you buy a 10 unit apartment deal, you can't just sell one, one apartment most of the time, unless you right. conduit out, that's a big headache. So, um, so there's pros and cons, but what I liked about multifamily is that it was very scalable, right? So we, we get non-recourse loans on these, on these loans. So it's almost easier to buy a 70 unit multifamily deal, uh, than it is a single family home or a 10 single family homes because you get non-recourse financing. Uh, which, for those that don't know, that's uh, where if the property goes bad and you didn't do any of the bad boy clauses uh, that are put in there, there's usually five of them, but it's all wise, steal, or cheat. But if as long as you don't do that, um, you mail back the keys and they can't touch your other assets, right? So, but because it's not recourse, um, you can keep hitting that non-recourse borrow button to infinity, mm-hmm. and so the so the scalability of that is huge. Whereas in a single family. I hear ghost stories, right? I like the scalability of multifamily. I mean, but at the end of the day, you're collecting rents. You've got to do, you know, make sure you're schooling away for CapEx. Um, hopefully, you raise all the money up front for your CapEx. So those are very similar. And then the cool thing about multifamily, though, is um, hopefully you bought big enough where you can afford a full-time property management company. Um, and that's when you can really scale it. Mm-hmm. Because if you're if you're buying these 20 or debt, I tell folks all the time: Do not buy a twenty or thirty unit apartment complex uh, because it's it's like a it's like a boat. There's two good days when you buy it and when you sell it. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a lot of maintenance in between. Uh, so, anyways, um, so it's good to rent those, but those boats. Uh, but for the smaller twenty, thirty unit deals, you're going to be drugged into the day to day operations of that mm-hmm. asset. You can't afford a full time manager or maintenance, so you're going to do something in there which takes away from your time. Uh, as an investor to go scale your portfolio. And that's where you as an investor make money. It's not yeah. changing out toilets or leasing or evicting. I, you know, that's, you're not making much money on those. So, so really, um, so I, I was fortunate. We started out, our first syndication deal was a 76 unit asset uh, here in Dallas, Fort Worth. So we've owned over 9,500 units. I still do not know how to evict anybody. And I don't want to know. <laughs> uh, we, we pay some really good people, really good money to handle that. Same thing with like changing out a toilet or fixing a sink. You know, my plumber grandfather would not would be probably you know rolling in his grave right now. But you don't want me touching touching any plumbing either. You know, so yeah. so but you know, but really, you as an investor, your time and your money that, that you're going to make the biggest gains you're going to make is scaling your portfolio. So this is kind of a the goal for me was always to scale um, as fast as possible, and to do that. You know, I didn't have the money to buy my first seventy six unit deal myself, so I had to learn how to syndicate. And there's a right way. And it was very wrong way. Uh, so make sure you go to those two-day courses as well. Uh, you know, talk to the right lawyers. But if you do it done correctly, you know, you can really scale it up and, and kind of done, uh, you know, started out with 76 units. And now, again, you know, almost 14 years later, 9,500 units plus that we've, we've done wow. across the country. 
Kenny, what would you say is the most difficult part to achieving scale in the multifamily space? Is it the syndication process itself? Is it getting a really great property manager that you feel comfortable you can scale with? What do you think trips people up from going to 100 units to 500 units or 1,000 units in this multifamily space? Well, I think it's mindset for one. It's scary as hell to go from like two units to 70, right? Or zero to 70 like we did. But that's okay. I mean, it's, you know, that's where the good stuff is, is is Mm -hmm. where you're, you're, you're scared a little bit. Now you want to solve for that by hiring the right team that has done this way, way more than you have, right? So, uh, you know, our first deal, um, our, we have 76 units so we could afford a full time property management company with folks on site. Um, I mean, that property management company had another 5,000 units in Dallas-Fort Worth. So I knew, you know, my learning curve was going to be, you know, much, uh, much shorter because um, she, knew, she knew the right GCs. She knew the right plumber. She knew the right landscaping company. So I'd have to burn through that. Um, it's mindset is the biggest deal. And then solving for the team around you for fixing the holes that you have. Uh, and initially, I had a lot of holes. I'd be the first one to admit it. But really, it's, it's that mindset. And then... When we were looking at new markets to, to buy in, take Columbus, it was our first time, 2015 buying there in Ohio. I was a crazy Texan buying in Ohio. Uh, the, uh, I knew the, my first question wasn't, who are the brokers in town? Absolutely not. That was my third question. My first question was, who are the property management companies that, that do well at B and C class multifamily? Because at the end of the day, they're going to, uh, they're going to be running my assets. And I want to, you know, I, I, so I flew up, met with them. You know, they didn't know it, but the rest of the day after that, I, I toured a lot of their assets just unannounced because I wanted to see, you know, test mm-hmm. them, like what it, what looks like when the owner shows up unannounced. What does it look like? Um, so, you know, just kind of asked those two questions. And the next day, I just started calling brokers and, you know, letting them know, hey, I'm in town looking to buy some multifamily. This is what I'm looking for. So um, and the other thing, too, is that the management companies can keep the brokers honest. I like brokers. They're my friends, but they all lie on their OMs, right? So you got to have to be, you got to be able to test that against the market. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, property management company that, that is in the weeds. They've got thousands of units in that city. That's a good way to kind of, you know, test that out. I want to jump to something that you've already alluded to, which is the transitioning office building to condos or apartments, right? And, and it's a question that we run into, I would say, a lot out in market or, or just a topic of conversation because you have a, a meeting in a downtown area, whether it's here in Cleveland or Columbus, and we say, what is everybody going to do with all of these high-rise <laughs> office buildings? Nobody's right. going into the office anymore. There's a lot of this vacant stuff. And the first thing that comes to mind is like, make, make them living spaces, right? But I understand there's some challenges in that, and, and you know, the office infrastructure is different than condo infrastructure but you're doing it here in cleveland brennan and i are looking at the building that that you are doing here in cleveland which is pretty cool can you talk about some of the the challenges that you run into there but ultimately what attracts you to being able to do that and having the guts to take on those sorts of projects sure yeah i mean so i think the biggest disruption in office the next 12 to 18 months maybe it's two years i don't think it'll be maybe even that long um, is going to be this is, you know, exactly what you said, what to do with these office buildings. Um, so right now, um, there's kind of a tale of two cities in the office uh, space. If you're an A-class with a, on, that's highly amenitized, um, you're actually seeing your occupancies increase and your rents increase. Mm-hmm. So the A-class office doing well. Now, not in, you know, certain sections of the country, but, you know, middle of the fairway, uh, Texas through Ohio, uh, you know, you're, you're seeing folks that are coming back to the office. Now, if you're if you're not back to the office by now in, in those cities and major metros, you're probably not coming back, right? So right now, everybody's figuring out, okay, these are the chips on the table. What do they look like? So the A class is doing fine on the office space, but it's the B class and below that is is 
very not fine. Um, it's, it's, it's so opposite. So right now, even if you're a stabilized, like a, if you're a 50% occupied B-class office building, your choices are, if you, if you have to refi, um, your, your, the highest leverage you're going to get is 50% off the new valuation, which your NOI drops, so your value drops. So you're coming to, to close, cash to close, just to refi. Um, and some of those are pretty sizable um, on there. So you don't really have a good option there. A lot of folks are, are, are scared of converting them to uh, multifamily. And so uh, we're seeing some um, um, office owners reach out to us and, and want a JV. Uh, we can't always pay what they want to pay, so we have to have that conversation with them. Sure, uh, but uh, sometimes they roll in some equity, um, and that way, you know, they actually make a little bit of money for their investors. Um, not near as much as what they thought, uh, but at least they don't lose the property uh, to foreclosure or anything like that. Um, so it's a big mess right now in office, but it's just starting. We just got um, our first direct foreclosure from a uh, from an office uh, for an office lender. Um, sent directly to us from them. A beautiful deal. They're actually going to finance us 80% loan to cost um, wow. because cause that's, as, that's as bad as they do not want this on their books anymore. Uh, so uh, so anyway, so, so we're seeing a lot of opportunities there. We have to buy them cheap enough, obviously, because it's a lot of work. So some of them are historic, some aren't. Uh, the one you guys are looking at was built in 1981, but we did get it on the historic registry. And I was born in 81, so I took offense and I enjoyed the extra... <laughs> Uh, state historic tax credits. We won. We actually won the state award for Ohio for tax credits for that property uh, a couple of years ago. So, uh, so anyway, so we you have to use you know if you can use um, historic tax credits, um, TIFs. I mean, there's all kinds of incentives that we try to um, use to make these uh, projects viable because uh, you can't pay 200 bucks a foot that these office owners paid. Mm. I mean, we're paying anywhere between I think 38 on the lowest, cheapest, up to 90 a foot, um, and the difference really is. How much can I reuse in the building? Um, you know, elevators, ACs, um, you know, fire suppression. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that per door or per foot price. Uh, so you really can't do kind of a rough, uh, rough rule of thumb. You have to actually take your GC and architect with you uh, when we go tour these assets on there. Uh, but it, it's the biggest deal is a lot of plumbing, right? There's a lot more mm, toilets and yeah. showers that have to go in. You know, these assets that we're doing so far, all of them are steel structure with cement decks in between. Uh, so it's a lot of boring all the way 17, 20 stories down, whatever it is, uh, for plumbing. Uh, but it's, we like it. You got the whole thing down to the cement deck. Um, you build back. We're using, um, so far, uh, we've always used light gauge steel for the framing inside. It's a little faster, um, on that. And then it's all new electric, new AC, usually plumbing. So you get this A class finished out brand new operating systems in a, in a building where so far we're hitting about 50 to 100, uh, 100K a, a door cheaper. Than a brand new build in that same wow. location, so our basis is way lower than than what you could do ground up right now. Uh, we've got some great locations. Uh, walk scores are usually 90, 95 plus when we buy it, and we're introducing more multifamily and usually retail and restaurants in the bottom floor, so it should go up from there. Kenny, I'm curious. So in the single family space, what often happens is uh, one of our developers goes into a neighborhood, they they flip the house in the street, and then it catches the attention of all the neighbors, and they're saying. Hey, maybe that investor wants to buy my house. Maybe you know there's some liquidity I can get out of this transaction. Does that apply on the commercial space where you're operating? So, for example, the the property in Cleveland are other C and B class office owners now approaching you guys because they're seeing your signs outside. They're seeing the you know the in ground pool getting craned twelve floors up onto the <laughs> onto the rooftop. Um, right. Are are people approaching you now just from you guys being in market and showing that you're kind of taking a stance on the Cleveland rental market? 
We are, and, and, and not just in Cleveland, really uh, nationwide. So they've, I've been on two panels already this year for office, uh, office to um, resi conversions. And Rhode Island, of all places, was IMN, and then one here in Dallas. And then I'm actually going to Columbus and Nashville in about a month, hitting those up for uh, to speak on panels about office to resi mm-hmm. conversions. It's a hot, hot thing. Um, so actually, we're, we are having a lot of office owners reach out to us. We just got, you know, we had a hedge fund reach out to us for a million square feet uh, there in a really nice part of Atlanta. Um, and they have, you know, it's 100% leased, uh, but 0% physically occupied. So they have a oh, Fortune wow. 500 company there. Um, and they call, hey, let's let's do a JV. I've got three months left on my lease. I'm like, we'll talk in four months um, after your lease is up, right? So mm-hmm. it's so like uh, the, the discount should be better at that point. Um, so anyway, so uh, we are seeing a lot of people reach out uh, to us on this office space. Like anybody, we're hemmed in as much as we can pay as the, you know, what, what's the location, what's the rents there in the market, and then how much is it going to take that to take per foot to get that office building converted to residential. Well, before I came in here into our little in-office studio, I was talking to my guy, Peter. Shout out, Peter. He runs our <laughs> asset management team. He's the best. And I told him we were meeting with you, and I said, it's really cool. He He's one of the operators on that, that big uh, conversion over there, the office space. And he goes, well, you tell Kenny, or he said, you ask Kenny what color that building's going to be because i got to look at it all the time, so I want to know what color it's going to be. So there's your question, Kenny. What color are you painting that thing? Oh, well, so it's all granite and glass, so we're not going to paint it. Uh, but we are, <laughs> but we go. had to, we did, it's going to be, uh, so this is probably, I don't know, too much in the weeds, but, uh, but you asked. So, uh, uh, so back in 81, they were, they hadn't figured it out yet, but so they decided to put the, the film, the, you know, energy efficient film at the time on the outside of the windows. Well, that, those windows face Lake Erie, right? So, you know, 40 years of facing Lake Erie, um, they're pretty silver and all that kind of a little bit grimy. And so, what what happened? We we took a, we took one panel off and tested on a very small corner. You know what does it look like for to clean that with your kind of traditional window high rise window cleaning solution? And uh, and it was scoring the the uh, scoring all the all that uh, all the sheet there. And so what we had to do was we actually had to send it off to a lab and create our own. Um, <laughs> our own uh, type of solution to clean the windows on this place. So <laughs> wow. if anybody out there needs a solution, <laughs> I've got a deal for you uh, for, for film on the outside of a building. So actually they're doing it now. So if you go to the back of the alley and look up about a third of the building is yeah. this nice kind of out there today. 80s gold look. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be a, a pretty shiny once it's done. That's probably what I was getting sprayed on me when I was walking <laughs> in. I was like, I felt this wet stuff. I'm like, what the hell is that? God, it's your rain. solution. Good. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, so anyways, one, yeah. One more uh, kind of more real estate related question. Then I want to get into like a, a more fun segment before we get you out of here. But now that you're in this kind of transitionary space from office to uh, luxury residential, how much competition are you guys running into? Are you guys one of the first people in the space on a macro level? Um, do you guys see really large like institutional capital come in doing this, or is it a lot of you know privately owned firms like yourself that are getting into it? I'm just curious what the landscape looks like for other developers similar to yourself. Sure, I mean, I, so it's definitely not like absolutely new. Cleveland's been doing it for a while. Uh, honestly, Cleveland, like if you speak to anybody that is, has been in um, office to resi conversions for a very long time, they've always started somehow in Cleveland. 
uh, just because mm-hmm. Cleveland had a lot of office that needed to be done. And so, so Cleveland, honestly, in some ways, led the way in all this. And so one of the, actually, one of the architects we use na- nationwide is St. Vic. They're based there in downtown Cleveland. So uh, they're actually helping us at one of our, there are two of our buildings here in downtown Fort Worth. Um, so they're, they're, they're a leader wow. there uh, in that um, as well. That, 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 that's a reuse space there. Uh, but it's been done before. It's not, it's, uh, although those guys kind of have passed on, uh, there were some in like the mid nineties in Fort Worth, but nothing really since then. Um, so it's not a lot of institutional capital yet. I, I think, um, it's a little too early for them. Once mm-hmm. we, you know, round trip our first one or two, uh, then, then I think they're going to, it'll be proven up enough for them to kind of jump in. Uh, but right now it's a lot of private folks. Um, I wouldn't see even, even a lot of us. There's, it's kind of a small group right now. Um, that are doing it, um, and we all uh, we all try to talk to each other and learn from each other uh, right now. You want to jump to the football stuff? We're Let's ready? do it. Yeah. All right. We are we are recording the day after the uh, NFL opener, the day after a football Sunday. We've got a few football related questions for you, Kenny. Brennan, you want to lead right. us off? All right, Kenny. We'll give you a quick quick question or statement. Uh, give us a first thing that comes to mind, quick answer, and uh, we'll hit you with like three or four of them. So. Uh, what's what's one item you are bringing to the tailgate? Oh man, uh, original Coors, Coors. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the, the yellow bellies. That's right. <laughs> I love that. All right. So if if you were a referee or official, what's one rule you would change in football? Oh man, I think the quarterbacks get too much protection these days. You know, I think they're out there. I, I think targeting. Yeah, yes, there's some late hits. I agree with that stuff. But I, you know, they're a little too. Uh, they're they're babied a little bit. So agreed. What if you were a coach? What would you do differently than you see most coaches do? Right? Like like what should coaches do more of that they don't already do now? Never draft a quarterback in the first round. Whoa! <laughs> hot take. Always picking up used. That's what I would do. You know, I mean, there's just it's, they're so uh, they're so unproven, and no one knows who's going to be great, who's going to be bad. I mean, even me, like, I mean, we uh, so Patrick Mahomes, he went to Texas Tech. Uh, I went to Baylor, and so I saw Patrick Mahomes play a lot in the Big Twelve, and he just would make these crazy Brett Favre type attempts. Mm. Fifty percent of the time it worked. Fifty percent of the time it did it. And I was like, "There's no way the, the Chiefs are going to like do well with him." But obviously, he's one of the best quarterbacks, and you just don't know. I mean, and then some of these guys that are highly regarded, like they end up doing, you know, you know, kind of fading out after two, three years. So that 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 position, I would wait uh, to find more of a seasoned a seasoned vet. So I like the Peyton Manning play. You know, the last three years of their 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 career, pick them up and then try to ride them out till get a Super Bowl or two. <laughs> that them, you know, that makes so. sense, Broncos fan. Yeah, okay, okay. Here you go. What what city should have a football team that doesn't? Oh man, uh, I wasn't ready for that one. <laughs> who who doesn't have one? I mean, let's see. Um, I don't know. I know Alabama is not huge, but their fans are crazy. Uh, so maybe that maybe they could support one down there. I don't know. Maybe Birmingham. Uh, Gulf that's or that's true. So, huge college you know. football presence. You get yeah. sense. You can I get think they might be able to NFL football down there in Birmingham. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just put an elephant on the side of the helmet, and they'd, they'd probably do well. So there you go. <laughs> well, Kenny, we appreciate you uh, coming on and, and sharing some of your real estate investing experience with our listeners. Again, we we focus a lot on the residential space. So I think getting someone with your background who um, had some interest in single-family residential maybe initially. Day two of the Guru course, you're like, hey, we're going to go multifamily and, and do this big. So we appreciate you coming and sharing some of this, uh, this information. And where else can people learn a little bit more about you or get in touch with you if they need to? Sure. So the best place is probably our website, wolf with an e, dash investments.com. 
Uh, we're pretty active on social, so you'll find us on Facebook and Instagram. And then we have a YouTube channel. Uh, we put up educational content once once a week. And so um, that's a good kind of online presence. And then you'll um, I speak a lot around the country. So we have uh, events coming up. Like I said, I'm speaking at the Left Field Investors event in Columbus, uh, kind of close to y'all. Uh, Nashville's coming up, the Build Conference. And then we actually host a uh, big conference three times a year, multifamily, uh, called MFInvestorNetwork.com. Go there. Uh, our next one is in Manhattan, so we're taking it to the Big Apple uh, here November 4th that weekend. So that's always fun. Uh, we fly in national speakers, Bob Helms, Tom Wilwright, those kind of folks speak in the morning. And then educational breakout sessions. We're the anti-guru. We do not sell anything at the end. There's no like bright spotlight on you. Um, it's just <laughs> education and networking. Um, and uh, it's a great place to, to learn if you want to do multifamily um, and then meet people who have actually done it as well. So we're we're all over the country. I'd love to meet everybody. Uh, give us a shout some way or the other. Awesome. Kenny, thanks again. Uh, Dave and I will go ahead and get us signed out here. So thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. Make sure to let us know what you think or write in with different suggestions or topics for the show at podcasts at upright.us. Make sure to like and subscribe to Real Estate Investing Unscripted so you don't miss out on any episodes. And if you like us, leave us a five-star review. That's a wrap, Kenny. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. No, man. Thank you. 